Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. In this episode, I'm speaking to one of the greatest Canadian comic book artists of all time. Kate Beaton is best known as the creator of Hark a Vagrant, the book of which debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list and was named one of the top ten fiction books of the year by Time magazine. Rolling Stone magazine placed the same collection on its list of the 50 best non-superhero graphic novels ever. More than half a million people each month visited her website, harkavagrant.com, to devour these hilariously smart absurdities of history and literature. She also wrote one of my favourite children's books, The Princess and the Pony. I've been reading this glorious book to my son River on an almost nightly basis for over two years, and to be honest, I feel rather starstruck about meeting the genius who created it in just a few moments. Like all of her work, the book is smart, funny, touching, heartwarming, and impossibly cute. Indeed, River tells me that the pony in the book is the cutest creation of all time, and he might be right. But don't just take our word for it. The Guardian newspaper in England reviewed the book thus. In a new children's book, Kate Beaton gently subverts the idea that strong female heroes have to kick ass and provides a lesson for adults too. Most importantly for me, it features a farting horse. Well put, Guardian. Of Scottish descent, Beaton grew up with her three sisters in Marbu on Cape Breton Island. She went to a small school there and later graduated from Mount Allison University in 2005 with a Bachelor of Arts in History and Anthropology. Beaton began drawing comics for the university newspaper The Argosy during her third and fourth years at school. After college, she worked as an admin assistant in the Maritime Museum of BC in Victoria. She's lived in Toronto and New York, but is now happily back in Marbu, a town with a population of just over a thousand people. She's contributed to Marvel Comics' Strange Tales anthology. That's right, a Marvel artist from the Maritimes. Did you know that? Maybe not. But that's why you listen to this podcast, right? As you can tell, I'm a huge fan and I can't wait to get inside the brain of this incredible artist who's brought so much joy to so many and to learn what brought her home from New York and Toronto to beautiful Marbu on Cape Breton Island. Here we go. Kate, it is so lovely to finally meet you. Thank you. Nice <laughs> to be here. Well, it's lovely to connect through this new medium that we have. Um, I've been a, a huge, huge fan of your work for many years and you know, adored Harker Vagrant and it adored so many other of your books. Um, but I didn't know until very recently that you lived in the Maritimes. Uh, tell me a bit about being a kind of globally renowned author, but based in a smaller place. Well, I live in my hometown, so <laughs> it's very natural for me to be here. And I chose to come back. 
I yeah. luckily I can take my work with me, which not a lot of people can do. So I chose to do that at the end of uh, it was December 2015. So I, I've been back home for a while, and I don't know about globally renowned around here. You know, you're just yourself, which I I really like, and. My medium is kind of obscure, so mm -hmm. well-known cartoonist is not really <laughs> <laughs> like I win an award and people are like, "You won an award? That's nice." I've never heard of it, but <laughs> but but the thing that's indisputable is if people have, of course, heard of Time Magazine and Rolling Stone, they've heard of the New Yorker, they've heard of all of these publications that have lauded you, and I love your maritime modesty, and it's wonderful. But there's no doubt that your work has been embraced and acclaimed globally. But you're right. I mean, is that one of the things that attracts you to living in a place like the East Coast of Canada? That really here, we're all just, I mean, everyone in our towns are famous. Everyone's just famous for different things. My neighbour is famous for being the best at changing septic tanks here in St. John. Everyone has their thing for that reason, as opposed to it being something else. Yeah, there's definitely part <laughs> of that. Um and I miss being in a bigger city like Toronto or New York where I, there was a, a community of cartoonists who do what I do. And that was very nice. But I also, being born and raised here, I never imagined that I would be one of the people who left forever. I always imagined coming mm. back at some point. And, yeah. and in those places in the cities, I always felt very rural. And, and I felt like like a peg stuck on top of a map. And, and here I feel part of the picture, if that makes sense. Totally. And then, I mean, obviously you kind of toured with your work and you lived and worked in different places. And of course, I mean, when you've gone on book tours, you've visited numerous places. But do you remember the moment that you realised that you were going to move home and how hard a decision was that? It was in 2015 and uh, I mm. was in Toronto and I was going to find a new apartment. And it was... Not as bad as it is now, but it was still really bad. It was hard to find a place. You would show up and people would show up at the same time with like a handful of cash. And it was like a real cutthroat apartment hunting time. And uh, I got an apartment and I hated it. And it cost so much. And I was like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I trying to get like the scraps of livelihood that I can afford in a, in a city like this that pretty much rejects all but the wealthiest? And that's not, I mean, there's right. all kinds of people who live in Toronto, but the struggle for a living wage and, and like living affordable apartments and stuff, that's very real. And so I was in this apartment that I didn't even like, and I had a lot of anxiety, I felt. Um, you know, cartoonists, we're an anxious bunch. So <laughs> if you ever run in the auto bio, it's a lot of people sweating. <laughs> yeah, I thought to myself, you know, when I'm home, I sleep better. And uh, and I recognize myself more. I'm a, I'm a we're all versions of ourselves somewhere that we go that it's involuntary. <laughs> you uh, you go somewhere and you you kind of like fit into where that place is, and um, and you don't really change yourself, but you do change a bit. And here I I recognize myself as a as a person that I knew and liked, and I thought, mm. well, what do I have to lose if I go home? I had gotten out of a relationship. I was by myself. And I thought, why not give it a shot? And then I thought about going to Halifax because it's a bigger city or and everything and uh, in the Maritimes. And then I thought, well, if I lived in Halifax, I'd probably see my family just as much as when I lived in Toronto, honestly. So I just 
threw my hat in the ring and went home all the way to Mabu, which is a population of like a thousand. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And, and, and I've been there I and mean, it's a beautiful place. And as you say, I mean, it has all of those things. It has that sense of community. And again, I mean, I'm, I'm not from here, but I feel that same way about small towns in the Maritimes that you do, that you can feel yourself here. And I also find it incredibly creatively stimulating. Did you find that when you got home? Did it change the way that you work? And indeed, did it change your output? It did. I, mm. I moved away when I was 18, 19 to university and then beyond. And at that point, there was a real out-migration. And the, I mean, there still is, but it was, it was really hurting people. It was obvious. When I was in grade 12, there were 23 people in my class. And there was, I think, seven in grade primary. It was a real mm. plummet. And the instructions to everyone was leave, leave uh, for jobs, leave for career, leave for money, whatever you're looking for, it's not here. And when I came back, I found that that message had had kind of uh, reversed on itself a bit. And um, people were more apt to consider the good things about staying and more young families were moving in because of the affordable housing and lifestyle. And, you know, there's a bunch of writers up in Marguerite with young families. That kind of thing was was not around when I was growing up. So these creative communities were appearing and I I found my people in a different way. It was, it was kind of like coming home and um, having to meet people all over again because you've been away for a while and rediscovering what the community was. Your other question about, about output and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it definitely has. It's... Um, other things have changed in my life too. I got married, I had children. And so those things really fundamentally shape you. And I, I found myself um, drawn to different projects, different things. I felt like I had outgrown the work that I was known best for, which was Harka Vagrant, which I did yeah. for like 10 years. And I started working on a graphic memoir of the two years that I spent in the oil sands, which was full of maritimers. And uh, right. and there was a lot that I wanted to say about that place. And that will be coming out with Drawn and Quarterly next year. Amazing. I mean, where did the decision to stop Harker Vagrant come from? And was that a hard decision to make when it was something which obviously had been a huge part of your life for more than a decade, but also resonated with so many people? And how, how did you come to the decision? And, and how did you then convey that decision to your fan base? It was a big decision to make, but it came naturally and gradually. The mm. updates slowed as I took on different projects. Elsewhere, I started doing picture books, things like that. And I was making comics about history. And when I started, I was a young, fresh voice, and there weren't many women in comics. And that was that was really empowering. But, you know, as time went on, you really felt like the person making jokes and commentary about history, like it's time to move aside and let someone else do it, especially someone who isn't like a white lady who has has benefited from so much of, you know, history's injustice to anyone else. Um, I just felt, I felt the need to step aside for fresher voices. And I didn't like looking at my old comics anyway. Nobody likes looking at their old work, but it's on, on the internet. Everything is, is exactly where it is. And somebody reading it for the first time, will be like, oh, you just made this. You're like, no, I made that in 2007. Um, And uh, there's no dates on things. They just memes, they just spread around, that kind of stuff. Um, So like being associated with like a a voice from the past of myself that I didn't even really recognize or resonate with anymore 
it felt good to move on from that and grow. And also not to sit on your laurels because you can be in the cartooning world. You can be uh, um, all kinds of different things. You don't have to be the syndicated strip that's online for, for 40 years and like in the newspapers of past times. Right. That makes perfect sense. And again, as you say, it's, it has this incredible timelessness that people can enjoy it now. They can enjoy it in decades to come. The, the genius of it was, of course, just how laugh out loud funny it was. Also surprisingly warm and, of course, historically educational in so many ways. Where did your interest in history come from? And where did the kind of idea come from that you thought, I need to take these historical things and turn them on their head? And then also, sorry, three-pronged question. How did you tell such a nuanced and hilarious story, joke, in so few squares? A lot of reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I credit uh, my love of history to being from here. Honestly, everybody here in this area at least is very connected to their past. You've got really strong cultural groups and oral histories and, and things like that that are part of people's lives here in Cape Breton and on the west coast of, of Cape Breton especially. Or I don't know, I, I can't speak for the other ones. <laughs> but that's what I grew up with. And, uh, and people don't live in the past, but they identify themselves with their histories very much. So there was always a kind of a natural interest in it there. And then I went to university for it. And um, I, I started drawing comics in university and history was my major. It felt very natural to draw on the things that you're reading about all the time. My favorite professors <laughs> were the ones who brought humor into their lectures because it drew everyone in. And you could tell that it came from a place of loving what they studied and being so right. familiar with it that they wanted to share the things that they loved about it. So that was exciting to go to their classes and just feed off of that energy that they had that came from a place of great affection when they cracked a joke about this or that character as they taught us. And I, I guess I, I kind of emulated that in a way where the things that I drew came from, you know, an affection for studying and learning and, and knowing new things and getting into the, the dirty details, which are often the most human. That's, that's what makes people from the very distant past very recognizable to us is their follies and the the nuances of their life so true i mean it's the, yeah, the way that you would kind of give these these um insecurities or foibles to uh characters that we had heard so much about throughout our, our childhood made them far more human than than anything else any of us have ever kind of seen or read Definitely. And like things are changing now, which is great, where we, we study people with more nuance than we did. But when I was in school and probably when you were in school, you know, it was like the great white men of history. They were at the forefront of everything, all the prime ministers, all the explorers, whatever, and not really a lot of interrogation of things other than their achievements, which we were supposed to celebrate. So right. you, when you read about them and like their uh, not so nice aspects, and even if they weren't like a tall dick, just their just their <laughs> regular <laughs> regular humanity was very appealing to find the humor in that because it, it did turn that those kind of lessons that we were taught in, into a, a new perspective. Oh, totally! I mean, it's an incredible thing that you did with you know turning them on their head, and as you say, I mean, in in some cases, humanizing people that hadn't been, but also highlighting foibles or in some cases let's face it downright evil things which 
we were never taught because these people were just held up as kind of bastions of heroicness when actually they were deplorable human beings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. we all did projects in grade four on like the explorers, like Magellan or whoever. And um, uh-huh. and then you drew a picture of their boat and you're like, here he is in his boat and he discovered this place. And you never think you're in grade four. You're not questioning things. Uh, and I'm so glad. I mean, I don't know what it's like in, in schools now, but, you know, they're including more uh, marginalized stories and more honesty in, in telling things. And you can only hope that that progresses. But again, like the, the longer the Hark yeah. and Vagrant went on and it came from that that place of um, uh, kind of a my own archaic education in a way, because I'm 37 and that's mm-hmm. ancient mm-hmm. to young people now. <laughs> it, it just didn't have the same kind of bite. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And then, I mean, the, the style, your, your style has always been unique and, and still is unique. But obviously, in the case of Harker Vagrant, it was the, the very distinctive black and white style. But then when you started doing books, uh, like Princess and the Pony, which, by the way, is one of my and my kids' favorite books, and we, we read it so often. And this is why I feel very starstruck talking to you now, because... Uh, uh, we just love it. But it, of course, the colors are so much more vivid and bright. How do you decide what style to use for a, an individual project? My God, I don't even know. I have no art training. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all really just envious looking at what other people are doing and then trying my mm-hmm. best. <laughs> because uh, well, it's working. Yeah, it's working. Yeah. Well, you come, you come to accept, you know, all great artists, like you can be a great artist and not have a distinct voice. And that's what will weigh you down and, and keep you from, from being noticed. And, uh, my advantage in a way was that I had no art training. So the stuff that I drew just looked different and it stood out Mm -hmm. and it was very like technically simple, but, um, (laughs) I had a knack for expression and gesture and that helped me a long way compared to people who work for Pixar who would never hire me. But yeah. <laughs> but I had I had the tools that I needed to do what I wanted, and that was that was great. And uh, right. and in picture books, um, I just uh, honestly like I tried to learn about color and was like, okay, <laughs> colors. <laughs> you think it's going to yeah. be easy, but then it's not. And um, and there are people doing amazing amazing work in in children's books, like the the spectrum of of skills goes extremely <laughs> precise, technical, beautiful work. And then stuff that just looks very simple, but does perfect, perfect for what it's supposed to do. Right. And as you say, I mean, the spectrum of work that is out there in children's books is so incredible now. And, and not that it wasn't when we were growing up, but all I really know is that I read a lot of children's books and a lot of adult books, but I very rarely cry when I'm reading a piece of adult literature. But I cry, I would say, a couple of times a week reading a, a children's book to my kids. And you mentioned your, you know, how you kind of adopted the skill of, of expressions. But the reason that the expressions in your books are so wonderful is it's the amount of emotion in them. And that obviously comes from within. Is that something that you feel that the warmth that is in your books is so unique? And that obviously comes from somewhere quite deep inside you. I mean, I hope so. I came of age as an artist on the internet, which is the most mm. inhumane place in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and again, I, you know, I was a, a 
female cartoonist and there weren't so many of them. And so you did encounter like weird hostility and um, mm. things like that just because you were you came in into the game and you looked different. You were different. Yeah. Your subjects were different. And um, at the same time, you know, we all know that the Internet has done amazing things for people connecting communities, things like that. And my my readers specifically have been always the loveliest people. Even at shows and stuff, my publisher will say, your readers are the nicest ones that come up. <laughs> and I, I think it's, nice. it's because um, between me and, and my audience, I always wanted to just project humanity and to be a human being to them. Because uh, mm. when I was coming out, like people would, uh, how do I explain? explain web, the web comic scene of the late 2000s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it was like creators weren't even people to some readers. They were just like, you know, we're going to be trolls. We're going to, we're going to yeah. um, uh, ruin this guy's day or whatever, because we hate his comic that we hate read instead of doing any other thing with our lives. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you, and I always wanted to just be myself to people and be open and vulnerable and be human. And in kind, people have been that way with me. And I think that that kind of dynamic has definitely shaped my work. Uh, it was also, I got to say, at that time, and, and even it's making a turn now, but it was an era of really cynical humor. You know, your family guys and stuff like that. Um, and and the popular comics were two guys sitting on a couch playing video games type of comics. <laughs> <laughs> and the the outlook and the humor and stuff was cynical, and I never identify with that. And now we have TV programs, you know, like The Good Place or uh, innumerable examples that delve into genuine emotion and relationships with with each other, and and pulling out humor from that. And that's hmm. it's kind of a, a thing that you didn't see ten, fifteen years ago. So true, so true. And as you say, I mean, that really is obviously the reason why people are saying to you at conventions and at signings that your fans are the nicest because really someone cannot be a fan of your work and be a dick at the same time like you cannot be you cannot be an awful person and appreciate uh, what you do because of the humanity and the warmth and the and the nuance and the kindness that is inherent in your work and it's a it's a fascinating thing that as you say I mean even though there are obviously always going to be people out there that say horrible things to any of us that that create and, and put oh, ourselves out there. Oh yeah, I'm sure you've there. had your share. We all have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it, you know. And it's one of those ridiculous things, isn't it, where you might get 50 nice messages from people and then you get one bad one and the one bad one is all you can think about. But it's interesting because a lot of people say to me, they say, oh, well, you know, it must be hard in stand-up when you get terrible people in the audience and, and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, I actually don't because I don't do the kind of hate fueled negative punching down comedy that would attract someone to a show so even though someone might want to write something horrible on social media I never find myself in a room with bad people because I don't offer the kind of thing that they would like yeah <laughs> yeah that's definitely a part of it I mean it's that that punching up and punching down thing that that's mm. totally on the nose because uh mm. it's so easy in a way to punch down I guess but yeah. but it's so unappealing I agree and and I mean I've never quite understood where I've never understood the popularity of cynicism because it's su it's such a negative trait because there are lots of things in the world to be upset about and angry about and want to fight against but cynicism is never directed at the right things it's always actually directed at positive things 
Often, yeah. And um, and when you think of the, the comedies in the media landscape and everything of when I started that comic and where it is now, mm. I do feel people want more humane comedy and kind comedy. And, and that's not that it's toothless. It's just that it doesn't, mm. it doesn't like tear people apart. And when it does, people are like, I hate this. <laughs> right. Right. So that's good. That's it. That's so true. This show is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. The Cape Breton Partnership unites people who believe in the power of working together to increase economic opportunities in Cape Breton. The Cape Breton Partnership aims to transform Cape Breton Unamagi into the most creative and prosperous place on earth. Visit capebretonpartnership.com to discover why this island is a great place to live, work, study and invest. We are growing a culture that values and celebrates creativity, innovation and entrepreneurship. And how have you found the last uh, 15 months? Because, of course, I mean, we're both blessed to live in one of the, I mean, every, every single place in the world has been affected by what's happened. But we are blessed in the Maritimes to live in a place where even though things haven't been normal, they haven't changed quite as dramatically as they would have done if we'd have been trapped inside a shoebox apartment in Toronto or London for the last 15 months. But have you found it creatively fulfilling time or a time to embrace family or how have you found it? I think it's been really wonderful for me in a lot of ways because, yeah, I'm surrounded by lots of walking trails and fields and I'm looking at my window right now and there's a cow eating grass. That's great for the cow. Uh, (laughs) And and I could bubble with my parents when we had to bubble. And, And so I saw them regularly. And if I wasn't here, I would definitely worry about them and other family members. I mean, this county has probably one of the oldest populations in <laughs> uh, like per population group over 65. Yeah. They're extremely vulnerable to COVID, yeah. but we have never had, I think there's been like one or two cases in my county almost un- until wow. this last, this last one. And they don't, you know, they don't really say, they just say like this zone and that zone, but, but we would know if somebody had it. And yeah, of course, yeah, because yeah, yeah. everyone knows everyone. Yeah, everyone's yeah. on the phone. Everyone's like, "Listen, this guy's got the COVID," and um, there's never. Been I saw someone. I saw someone sneeze at the post office. I think they got it. Yes, yeah. In the very beginning, some people were coming back from vacations and they didn't isolate yeah. the whole time, and people were like, you know, the tongues were wagging and the fingers were shaking, and everyone knows where you Same. are all the time. It's amazing. But I love, I love that kind of like you can't do anything around here without people knowing. But I kind of love it because because they're really just invested in your life. They care. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I'm pregnant too. I'm, I'm oh, seven or eight months pregnant. I don't know how I'm pregnant. Oh, wow. Con- congratulations. <laughs> this is amazing. Set for one month, two months, three months. So, so that's a wonderful byproduct of COVID. You had time to get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess we would have anyway, maybe, or like we would have tried, but because I have a two-year-old and- um, yes. And I'm 37, so unfortunately, I can't be like, maybe 10 years later, like, no, if you're going to do it, you got to do it now. And so, like, in some ways, I would be a little bit constrained anyway, uh, because I'm not going too far. (laughs) (laughs) And and I have um, wonderful health teams and everything around here who have been great in spite of the circumstances. And... uh, I wanted to raise kids here. I wanted to raise family here. This is where I wanted to be to do that. I don't know how to do it anywhere else anyway. So I'm doing my part to reverse that trend. 
of depopulation. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> Well, that's absolutely beautiful. And congratulations. I'm, I'm so, so happy to hear that wonderful news. It's one of those things that we know that there is nowhere better in the world to bring up a family than the Maritimes. And of course, it's something which um, a handful of people have known for some time. But certainly in the past 15 months, due to w- what's happened, there does seem to be a, an awareness elsewhere in Canada and indeed the world that this is a magical place. Is that something that you've noticed on Cape Breton Island as a whole? People either coming home or coming there to live sight unseen? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword though, isn't it? Because now there's no <laughs> affordable housing. Um, right, right, and, and people right. come from different places and buying houses sight unseen. And then the person who works at the gas station and the grocery store and, and at the school is like, well, I don't have anywhere to live. We actually opened mm. up a daycare. The parents around this area got together to to work on getting a daycare open because we didn't have one. And um, and then we brought in like a lovely, extremely qualified daycare operator. She had just moved from India with her family and they're renting a house. And we've been trying so hard to help them find a permanent house. But, but it's so hard, especially in rural Nova Scotia, there's a yeah. huge housing crisis. So, you know, it, every right. gain comes with a little bit of that the difficulty here in the Maritimes, as much as we love it, and uh, you have to fight for certain things. Um, True. It's nice to hear in Halifax that somebody just announced like affordable housing uh, initiatives mm. in there, but we need it too. And, um, yeah. you know, the regular rural concerns, it's hard to get doctors, it's hard to get this and that thing. But when you live here, actually, just before I moved, I, I asked a friend of mine, Kenneth McKenzie, he's now, he's going to run that... Um, the Gaelic school that's opening in Mabu, oh, wow. um, which is, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. A, a primary school, primary to four. And he's affiliated with the Gaelic college and he lived away for a while too. And I was like, what, what do you like about living at home? I'm, and you know, I'm hemming and hawing about coming back. And he was like, you know, here I can really make a difference. And that means a lot to me. Right. And, um, I totally agree. So beautiful and so true. And it's one of the things that I think is the secret weapon in this region is that we, of course, have problems like everywhere. But our secret weapon is having people who care. And I mean, one of the things, first things I noticed when I first moved to New Brunswick was if I volunteered for a food bank in England and would post that the shelves were empty, uh, there would be no uptake there would be no response there would the local newspaper wouldn't be interested and yet when the same thing happened here in St John and the someone posted that the um children's cereal shelves were empty uh, I happened to be volunteering the following day and there was a lineup around the block of people taking time out of their lunch breaks to come and donate food for the for the children's cereal shelf just again people were half our lunch break just gone out bought something, come straight there. And I just felt like that is a a very kind of uniquely small town, small city, Atlantic Canadian thing where people really care about each other. That's really lovely. Yeah, that is nice. And I agree. I mean, we all have our things to work on in our society, but the smallest stuff can make a big difference here. And that's a real plus. Totally. And of course, I mean, being heavily pregnant, you're probably not focused on work right now. And that's understandable. But how far ahead are you planning? Do you have ideas? And are you now, when you write and create, are you now thinking of what your children would want to read? (laughs) Well, my daughter's two. So she really doesn't give a shit about any of the nice books I have. I buy these beautiful books made by my friends. And they're for older kids, really, anyway. But the art is lovely. And I'm like, this is amazing. And she's like, no. I want this garbage book from the garbage can. 
that is like uh, totally destroyed and inane. And uh, and you're like, well, if that's what you want. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny. I love I love picking up what kids want to read from being around them. And you yeah. definitely learn. I'm working on different things. We're editing the graphic novel right now, the final edits. Yeah, it's been a long time. That It's over 400 pages. And they're like, we have to remove some of these pages. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so huge. And I have a picture book deal that I was working on. I'm working on a television project that is unannounced yet. So whenever that's announced, you'll know what it is. But um, cool. <laughs> it'll come out at some point. And I, I do comics just for myself now on Patreon, which has been nice because it's uh, I, I just do them for myself. Um, for almost every other project that I've had, you do them for yourself, but you're also very, very aware of your audience. And uh, I just wanted somewhere kind of like uh, my own space to kind of muck around in and, and do uh, things I want to talk about, which is actually a story about the Maritimes right now. So if people don't get it, I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's beautiful. And as you say, that's the most creatively freeing thing. And that's often where we not, not only necessarily do our best work, but also feel the most at home. Because as you say, you're not doing it for anyone but yourself. And then when people do uh, engage with it and embrace it, it feels all the better, doesn't it? Yes, very much so. And I, I made myself sound callous. I'm like, I don't care if you don't get it. That's not true. I give them lots of context. But I'm, I'm aware that it's very, you know, small portion of the world that I'm writing about in a specific time. And if people respond to it, that's truly wonderful. So I'm just having fun with it, honestly. And that's nice too. It's amazing. So, I mean, you know, you're busy as ever. You're juggling tons of different projects at the same time. What advice would you give to an artist, a cartoonist, an illustrator, a writer, or indeed anyone working in or aspiring to work in a creative field who has it in their head that they need to live in a Montreal or a Toronto or a London or a New York, would prefer to live somewhere smaller? What would you say to them? Well, the internet has changed everything in, mm. in life. And young people... Now they grew up with the internet all the time, so they don't know that, but, <laughs> but it is true. And, uh, and I, I benefited greatly from the, the time that I spent in those cities and, and getting to know other people who did what I did and, and what they thought and, and everything. But it, it's not like a, a life sentence to have to go out there to work in the arts. And maybe you'll go and you'll, you're living in a city now and it feels like that's just where you live. But if you want to try living somewhere else, you definitely can. I know amazing artists who live in just the, the randomest rural places and they can do it because that's the way that our lives are set up now remotely. I'm not sure why I didn't move home sooner. I, I was living my life out there and that was where I lived. You kind of get used to it and you've, you think some years go by and, uh, and you think, well, this is where I live. <laughs> you don't really interrogate it very much. But if you, you know, if you look inside yourself and think like, where will I most be happy? If the answer is somewhere yeah. different, then there's no real reason not to try. So true. When I think back to the last few years of being in London, I mean, I wish that I'd moved here sooner. I just know that every single day when I crammed into a underground tube train with a thousand other people more people on one train than there is in your entire town and then and just like you know face in, in someone's armpit every day I would wake up and regret where I lived and then 
now living here. I mean, it's just there when I look out the window every day and I see water. I'm not lucky enough to see a cow, but I do see deer every day. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't change it for anything. And as you say, I mean, it's, it, I think when we're at our happiest, we are at our most creative. And that really is all an artist should need to know. I hope so. Uh, although mm. I get the fear that people have about like changing their position or, or their, where they are, or where they're based from. But um, mm. uh, you never know unless you, unless you try. And I love visiting yeah. London. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, I got so. to eat those tiny cakes at Fortnum and Mason. Delicious. But- <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I'll bring you some back. When, I, okay. when I'm allowed back there, I'm going to bring you some. <laughs> yeah, we went with my publisher and I was like, ooh la la. <laughs> I am nice. fancy today. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I love going to those places to, to kind of recharge and, and, and look around. When my work allows me, that's usually when I go for book stuff. So that's nice. Yeah. If you work in the arts, honestly, there often is a chances to leave and go to things. I, I mean, if you're fortunate enough, I suppose. But mm-hmm. that also makes me feel very connected to the world, even though I'm in this very small, rural and kind of peripheral place. Oh, well, it's it's a beautiful place. And I mean, Alan Arkin recently described Cape Breton Island as a whole as the most magical place on earth. How would you describe it to someone listening to this who we have lots of listeners in the UK who maybe haven't been to Canada at all? Do you mind just explaining to them what they're going to see when they come to Cape Breton Island? The cows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, lots of water all around the Maritimes. Obviously, we, we all associate ourselves with uh, with yeah. that and my sister who lives in Edmonton covered her house in like anchors until her husband was like, stop it. <laughs> stop. That is the, that's the classic <laughs> Maritimer away thing, isn't yeah. it? You know, you, you, you know a Maritimer's house uh, elsewhere in the world when you walk into it. <laughs> yeah. There's no anchors in my house. Cause I don't, I don't need it, but I understand the impulse. Um, yeah. and, uh, what I would say is that like when we were young, we like in most places that have a small population, you, you're like, I can't wait to leave. And you'd go to the <laughs> beach, which is this beautiful, unmatched scenery, cliffs, water, fishing boats, seagulls, the sand, everything. And you'd be like, this sucks. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to leave. And then when you're an adult, you come back and you're like, what was wrong with me? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that is exactly it. Because it is so beautiful. It's so lovely. I love hearing the local accent. I love uh, I love the different cultures around. You drive around the Maritimes and you know, and there's the, you know, Mi'kmaq villages and Acadian villages and very sort of like pockets of really strong culture that draws you in. It's lovely. And it's just being where we are, you know, you're kind of like a thumb that's stuck outside of the edge of Canada. It feels very, very special. And um, yeah. I don't know. I can't, there's no movie theaters that I can go to. There's no, I don't even think there's a restaurant open in our town right now. Oh, there's one. <laughs> but I don't care. I don't need that yeah. stuff. I found like when I lived in the city, I was like, well, we're, you know, you got to try this place out. You got to try this place out. And some people live for that and thrive on it. But I never did it anyway. When I lived in New York, Same. people were like, so did you go see the Statue of Liberty? And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I stayed in my apartment and I worked. Um, so- and that's all I did. I didn't like participate in a lot of things. And that's just, uh, but here I do. Because everything that happens is like, wow, this is happening. Let's go. 
<laughs> that's exactly it. That is, it's so spot on. Well, it's if people always said to me, you know, well, do you, you know, do you miss the the variety in London? And I'm like, well, no, because in in London there's millions of things happening, and I went to like none slash not point not 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 one percent of them. Whereas now living in a small town, population 10,000, just outside St. John, like I, I still only make it to about five or 10% of the things that I want to go to. So if you're missing most of the things that you want to do anyway, then how much choice do you actually need? Yeah, yeah. I never went to a Broadway show. People were like, wow, you must be going to Broadway all the time. I'm like, what? No, it's like long subway ride and it's expensive. I'm like, no, never. Yeah. Um, and it's like 500, 500 bucks for a ticket. I mean, how how good really is, is the show really worth 500 bucks? How many like provincial theatrical productions can you see for that ticket price? You could go every week for a year for that price. All kinds. And there are like, yeah. and the, the, the scrappiness of, of, of it's kind of a silly word but you know what i mean like of like people with with small yeah. resources and and everything pulling something yeah. together it's it's amazing when that happens and the funnest party i went to in the last year was probably uh somebody up in marguerite has this like 100 year old apple press so in the fall a lot of us went up there and had an apple pressing party and we're like squishing our apples into juice it was great uh, amazing <laughs> great party <laughs> That's what it's all about. You've just summed up perfectly the best things about living here. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just small town life. Now, even when, when, like my husband, he's from Alberta, but he's from rural Alberta. So <laughs> when we go into the city, we're like, we need to get out of here. We're all sweating in our cars and like the traffic lights freak us out. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, I, I, I used to find that when I when I would visit Halifax from London, I found it this kind of really cute, small, nice, small, quaint city. Now, seven years living in a small town in New Brunswick, when I go to Halifax, I'm like, ah, too many people, too much traffic. I'm, I'm going to have a meltdown. Like, it, it feels like I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's too hectic for me. I can't cope. Yeah, it is. You're like, oh, my God, a roundabout. Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I hate <That's> this. <laughs> So true. Um, I guess I guess uh, fans of yours will not forgive me if I don't ask uh, your your expert opinion on something before we go. Oh sure. What are the given given the um, given things are opening up again globally, thankfully, and uh, and stores are reopening, and of course the most important thing in the world to support is comic book stores. I should must ask, what are your favorite comic book stores in the world? Oh, well, if you're coming to the Maritimes, it's got to be Strange mm -hmm. Adventures. Um, yes. Strange Adventures, they have locations in Halifax, well, in Dartmouth, and in, um, is it Fredericton, I think? Fredericton, yes, indeed. Yeah, yes, yeah. And Cal, he's the owner. I have never met anyone so lovely and helpful to up-and-coming cartoonists in their neighborhood. Like, when I lived in Halifax... You'd go in there and be like, I make comics. And Cal would be like, what can I do for you? Like you, he had connections to, to like bigger things, bigger ideas. And, and he started the comic festival in Halifax or well, decaf, the Dartmouth one um, yeah. that was done by those guys. And it's just a, a great example of someone in the community who can help people and people are drawn to them because there's not that many comic stores in, in really. Yeah. I don't know where the closest one to me is. Maybe I have no idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, young artists and stuff are drawn there and they're milling around. And the people who work there 
not just Cal, but all the staff, you know, they're, mm. they know, they know that, that they're the, the hub of the town for that kind of thing. And also I'd re- be remiss if I didn't, uh, uh, J Aaron Roy, he runs one in Sackville, um, oh, yes. Cape and Cal comics. And, uh, and so he's trans and it, a really big, uh, advocate in the community throughout all of the HRM for issues related to LGBTQ, uh, everything. And for youth, especially those places are like safe places for youth to come and explore their interests and be themselves. And those types of places are invaluable. And so those comic stores, they they have a a strong place in my heart because, um, because they're there for the community. That's so beautiful. As you say, they're magical emporiums where it's as you say it's a safe haven for for creatives for children for fans but also uh for artists and i, and I know strange adventures was where i first discovered your work because oh. there was a, a beautiful display there um it must have been seven eight years ago and there was a beautiful display and i was like wow look at this and then became a huge fan like i say firstly of harker vagrant but then subsequently reading princess and the pony and king baby and so forth to my they're now seven and ten i started reading your books to them probably five years ago but still read them now because the, you know it's like with books when you fall in love with them with your children you keep reading them and i hope i will still be reading princess and the pony to them when they're in their 20s even if they won't let me <laughs> that's, that's like the love you forever book where she's still climbing in his room and, and picking him up rocking him yeah we love that's that exactly book. it <laughs> that's exactly I love it. it i <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I, I'm that dad that's gonna still be trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why not? <laughs> It's amazing. Well, uh, Kate, I cannot thank you enough for your time today and also just for giving me so many years of enjoyment in, in all of your work and my children's enjoyment. And, uh, and congratulations. And I cannot wait to meet you in person when that's legal again. That will be lovely. And thank you guys for having me. We'll, uh, we'll, see, we'll see you later. Definitely, definitely. And when you see me on the island, I will be there guaranteed with Fortnum and Mason cakes. That's my promise to you. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. See see you then. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. This show is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. They are connecting entrepreneurs and companies to the resources they need to succeed on the amazing island of Cape Breton. Visit capebretonpartnership.com for more information on how you can improve your life and business by investing in Cape Breton Island. Be sure to order all of Kate's books online. Her website is beatontown, that's B-E-A-T-O-N, T-O-W-N dot com and follow her on Twitter at Beethona, that's B-E-A-T-O-N-A that's Twitter at B-E-A-T-O-N-A See you next time! Podstarter Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.